he prophesied that a son named Josiah would be born to the house of David and he would destroy the altar of Bethel. Now Jeroboam, as we all know, had built an altar at Bethel. He also built one at Dan and he made, and he and he done it to make worship convenient to where the people did not have to travel to Jerusalem to worship. And any time that worship becomes convenient and not a sacrifice, beware because idolatry is being formed and backsliding is evident. I want you to know this is why that David himself said, I will not offer anything to the Lord that has not cost me something. Worship is designed to be a sacrifice. It's not always designed to tickle our fancies or it's not always designed to make us feel good and it's not always designed to be easy. Sometimes worship is one of the hardest things that you and I will, ha- will ever do. That's why the Bible tells us, let us offer the sacrifice the praise that is the fruit of our lips, giving praise to his name for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. We praise him when we feel good and we praise him when we feel bad. We praise him in the good times and we praise him in the bad times. But worship cannot just become convenient. David said, I'm just simply not gonna offer anything that costs me nothing. Anytime that worship becomes more about ourselves than it does about God, then the God of self begins to be enthroned and not God God himself. Your worship isn't about your style or your preference, but worship is about spirit and truth and it's about sacrifice. So we gotta understand that when we come into this house, we can't be moved to worship. We have to worship to where the move will take place. You and I have got to determine that it's time to worship God the minute that we drive on the grounds of this of this church. The nation of Judah needed reform in the time of Josiah due to the wicked reigns of his father and his grandfather. Josiah was the son of King Ammon and he was the great uh, he was the grandson of King Manasseh. Now we know that Manasseh was the wickedest king that ever lived in scripture. He was one of the most vile, corrupt kings that there was in the history of Judah. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 22 or 21 verse 2 that King Manasseh did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Everything that God had rid the land of and everything that God had drove out of the land, here come Manasseh and he reestablished it. Matter of fact, throughout chapter 21 of 2 Kings, it gives you a detailed information about the wickedness of Manasseh. It shows you his lifestyle, his vileness, his corruption. And just the highlights of this chapter will prove that Manasseh's wickedness exceeded all of his predecessors. According to the scripture, Manasseh had rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had tore down and, he, and all of the altars that he broke down. We see that King Manasseh reestablished them. Hezekiah was one of the great reformers of his day, but his son Manasseh did not follow his father's footsteps, but he done what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the scripture. He erected altars to Baal. He made Astroth pose. He worshiped them. He served them. He even burned his sons alive, his, his own biological sons, an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And the word Hinnom means Hades or Sheol or the grave, or it also means hell. So we see that Manasseh burned his own children as a sacrifice to idol gods, especially to Baal in the valley of hell. He used fortune telling and almonds and sorcery. He dealt with mediums and magic. He also got involved in trying to communicate with the dead. And matter of fact, but he also, not only did he go throughout the land building altars upon high places, establishing practice of idolatry in the land, but he also made carved images of idols and he placed them in the house of God at Jerusalem 
Jerusalem, which God had already told David, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen, out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. In other words, God says, Jerusalem is mine, that city is mine, but that temple is mine, and I'm going to put my name in it forever. But Manasseh desecrated that holy house, the house of the Lord, with his images and his idol worship, which was, according to Scripture, an abomination to the Lord. And the Bible says that which he done provoked God to anger. And let me tell you, you do not want God angry at you, but God was provoked to anger. Ammon, King Josiah's dad, would follow his father Manasseh's footsteps. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 20, that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Under his reign, there was not only Baal worship, because Manasseh had already established that, but according to the prophet Zephaniah, he would also establish the worship of Molech and the star worship would begin to come on the scene. So other idol worship and other uh, uh, false gods would be brought into the land under his reign. Ammon was assassinated and he was killed at a young age and here comes Josiah and he begins to reign upon the throne at the age of eight years old. Could you imagine having a king that is eight years old? And listen what the scripture says about Josiah. I'm just laying out a foundation. Hang with me here and we'll preach a sermon in a moment. But Josiah, it says about him in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. Listen to it. Josiah was eight years old when he came, became king of Judah, and he ruled in Jerusalem for 31 years. Josiah did what was pleasing to the Lord. He followed the example of his ancestor, King David, strictly obeying all of the laws of the Lord. Now here we see, as he took the throne, that Josiah had a heart that he wanted to do right. The Bible says that he followed after the example of the ancestor of his king David and he obeyed all of the laws of the Lord. But even though he took the throne at eight years old, it took time for him to mature and work things out and try to understand exactly this thing that God wanted him to do. The reform did not start immediately like you and I would think. There had to be the preparation of the king before there was reform, before reformation could happen. The king had to order it, the king had to establish it, and the king had to lead it. He had, he had not he had not been at this point Josiah had not been brought to a place of leadership and maturity as of yet. Leadership does not just happen folks it's a forming process in the heart of a man and a woman for months and even sometimes for years you don't just wake up and become a spiritual giant overnight and those of you that are just born again don't be too hard on yourself it takes time to mature it takes time to grow but on the other hand those of you that have been serving the Lord for 30 years and you've not found yourself in a place of leadership, then you need to find out what is happening in your life because by now you should be a leader and an example for people to follow. Can I have an amen? But leadership doesn't just happen. It's something that has to be earned and it's a process of the heart from a man for years. Leadership has to be earned and not inherited just because maybe your daddy was a leader or maybe your mama was a leader or maybe they were spiritual giants does not make you a spiritual giant just because of who they were. And just because we, that Josiah had the heart to do good did not mean that he did not have some grooming and some maturing to do as a king. Having the heart to do good and having the ability to do good are two different things. The heart can be manipulated and deceived, my friend. And even though a man has good intentions and desires to do good, yet we have to have more than just a heart to govern 
and regulate our lives. That's why the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it or who can trust it? It's good that we have a heart to want to do good, but you cannot rely upon the heart alone in order to govern your life. Paul himself said in Romans 7, 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. We all find that even in this day. Every time that we put a foot forward to do something good for the Lord, evil's present. It's there to buffet us. It's there to hinder us. It's there to tempt us. It's there to try us. It's there to disqualify us. It's there to defy us. It's there to defile us. He does everything in the world to try to get you, the enemy does, from becoming successful in your spiritual journey. And Paul said, when I try to do good, I find out that there's an ever-gnawing evil right there with me. That never changes into the grave. Every time that you try to put forth the foot to go forward, there is all kinds of voices and there's all kinds of hindrances to push you backwards. Though you try to succeed, there's all kinds of things against you to try to get you to fail. I want you to know there is a real opposition. It is called principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a demonic realm. There is a true enemy. The enemy is a devil. He's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He is an evil plot. There's an evil plot against your life every single day. And Paul says, when I try to do good, that evil begins to try to stare me down. He can continued on and even acknowledged something even greater. In Romans 7 and 18, he says, for I know that in me, that is within my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. He said, I know in myself there's nothing good. The only good is in Jesus Christ. He recognizes that. But he also says, for I know that in my, me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to the will is present with me. I desire to do it. I have the desire, the will to want to live right, but how to perform that which is good I have not found. Paul said, in other words, there's times that I want to do right, but when I set out to do right, I find myself doing wrong. Have you ever found yourself in that place? Of course we have. But we have to overcome. That's where the biggest majority of the church world is at right now. They have the will and the desire to want to do right, but they find themselves not doing what they desire because the forces is against him is bigger and greater than, the, than, their, than their spirit to overcome it. They don't know how to live a life of overcoming power in Jesus Christ. But I'm here to tell you, you do not have to be a doormat for the enemy. You do not have to be someone that's defeated all of the time. You don't have to sit around and constantly be in condemnation over some kind of a failure. There is true victory in Jesus Christ. There's power in the blood of the Lamb of God and you and I are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for us. And you say, well preacher, y'all preach that all the time, but why can't I live it? Why can't I not overcome it? Why is it that I got the desire? I got the want to. I'm in and out. I'm like a, I'm like a yo-yo up and down and in and out and I find myself doing things I shouldn't do and then I feel guilty and I come back to an altar and I repent only to find myself getting on a spiritual high to walk out the door and collapse before the week is over and I find myself doing the same old things that I once did. What's going on in my life? I want to show you in this message because God wants the palace to rise to another level. Are you with me? God wants every single one of you to know how to live victorious. 
God wants you to have the inability, the, the ability, the inherent ability of God to rise up above the strongholds that dictate to you and cause you not to live holy in the sight of God. God has a plan for all of us to be victors in Jesus Christ. Give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Now let me say this, desire is good, but desire alone will not and cannot cause good judgment. It may be within us to want to do good, but we have to be governed by a higher sense of knowledge than that of the heart alone. Intentions are good, desire is good, but we simply cannot be governed out of the emotional realm, out of the soulless realm, the heart. Because I want to tell you, Second Chronicles 34, verse 3 through 5, listen to it. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Verse 4 says, And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, and the images that were on high above them he cut down, and the groves and the carved images and the molten images he break in pieces and made dust of them. He strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priest upon the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Now this is talking about Josiah. All of a sudden, we here we see Josiah at the age of 16 years old. Now we know he's 16 years old because this begins to occur in the eighth year of his reign, and he was eight years old when he started. So here we see Josiah at the age of 16 years old begins to seek the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Isn't it odd that even though Josiah had a heart to do good, it took him eight years to understand his need to begin to seek after the Lord. That is so strange to me. He has a desire to walk right. He has a want to. He has a passion to do good for God. He gets on the throne at eight years old, but he don't even and seek the Lord for eight solid years. Do you know how many Christians have given their lives to Jesus Christ and they're walking around going on feeling and emotion and that's the only leading that they have because they don't even have the real concept of how powerful the life of intimacy and a life relationship with Jesus Christ really is. All they know is that they come in and they go through the spiritual protocol of the church and they go through the rituals and they're Christians but they've never established a ear that can hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying and they never come to that place of submission to where they have an intimate, loving, devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't even know the power of prayer. Those of you that are having need of things in your life, the power of prayer works. The power of seeking God works. I want you to understand this is an ABC simple formula that I'm gonna be laying out here today, but there are many people that do not even have a prayer life that has been in church for years. They don't pray every day. They don't have a set time of devotion. They don't have a set time of setting themselves apart and listening to the voice of God, taking a few moments out of the day to read the scripture and to get in the word of God and bow their knee before the Lord and just sometimes just sit and listen to what the spirit of the Lord will say to you. And as you begin to make your petition, there are some people that are always calling for prayer, but they never learn how to pray for themselves. It took Hezekiah eight solid years to understand that he needed to seek the Lord. Can I tell you, there are some people that it's took a lot longer than that. It's time for the palace of praise to understand it's the season, it's the time, the time is right to start seeking the face of the Lord. Can I have an amen? Oh, hallelujah, I feel like preaching today. Well, glory, somebody better shout with me. 
Somebody said, you've been gone for two weeks and you ain't preached in a while. I think I'll just skip this morning because I'm liable to preach to two o'clock here today. But I'm here to tell you today that we as a congregation have to feel the need, understand the importance, the necessity to learn how to build a relationship to where we seek Jesus Christ every single day of our lives. Can I have an amen? Now, I don't want to get stuck there, but how many knows we need to seek the Lord continually, consistently, and how many knows that we need to be faithful to it every single day? Here we see Josiah. He's 16 years old, and he begins to say, hey, I got to learn how to seek the Lord. And even though he had a desire to purge and to cleanse the nation, he had a heart that wanted reform and righteousness to rule the nation, yet nothing happened. There was no reform. There was no transition that happened until eight solid years later. Did you know there's a lot of people that just have wishful thinking? They sit around and they have this concept. They know what God wants. They know that they want what God does want, but the problem of it is it never comes to pass and it never manifests because of the fact that you and I never take advantage of our relationship to where we can live out on earth God's desire through our lives. Can I have an amen? Somebody shout right here and say amen with me. You and I are on the threshold of one of the greatest moves of God that we have ever seen. You and I are on the threshold of something significant in the spiritual. But you and I cannot claim hold of it if we do not know the God that we serve. We have to come into an intimate relationship, a personal relationship with God. Can I have an amen? And even though he had this desire, eight years later, nothing happens until he becomes 16 years of age. And listen to this. It wasn't until Josiah began to seek the Lord that he began the process, notice the word process, to purge the nation of her sin. We're so um, caught up in this instant gratification that, you know, we want it, we want it now. We want something to happen. Right. It's a process. Everything that God does sometimes is a process. It's not something that just takes place overnight. And here's Josiah. He's at 16 years old. He begins to slow. He sought, he seeks the Lord. And as he sought the Lord in the eighth year of his reign, but notice this. He did not start purging the land until the 12th year of his reign. Did you get that? Now, those of us that are impatient, you're not going to like this sermon. Those of you that want something now and you want it the way you want it, when you want it, how you want it, you might as well forget it. God does not operate in that kind of a way. God operates in his timing and in your ability to mature is determined to whether or not you're going to have victory in your future. Everything that we desire, everything that we want, God is not taunting us with it. It's ours at the taking, but we have to be spiritual enough to know how to apply it and make it applicable to our lives. God, leadership is not just something that somebody's gifted with, even though there is the gifting of leadership. Leadership is something that happens in your life as you form into the image of God and learn the voice of God and have an intimate relationship with him to where he can minister through you by his Holy Spirit and his word. God's doing something in our land, and we better get ready for it. At the age of 20, he's now 20 years old, Four years he's been praying and seeking the Lord. He begins to fulfill the prophecy over him that, would, that he would destroy the religious sites that Jeroboam erected, such as the altar of Bethel. He sought the Lord at age 16. He moved to purge the land at age 20. This means there was four years of seeking the Lord before anything happened. Can you imagine that? 
We've been seeking the Lord going on the fourth year, I think, of coming around this summer on our Wednesday nights. And there are times when pastors, they'll set out and do what the Lord spoke to them to do, and they'll start a prayer meeting, and the prayer meeting will start off good, and then all of a sudden, it'll start falling off just as ours did. Ours, you know, went way up, and then it went way, way down. And people were saying, maybe you ought to try something different. I said, I haven't heard from the voice of the Lord as of yet. And I want to tell you something. There is, there is great gain to them that will be patient and wait upon the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. Can I have an amen? And there's times that you and I have to understand that there is a season of preparation before the promise can be manifested. And God says to hear in Scripture that it was four years of seeking the Lord before God ever does one thing on behalf of Josiah. How many of you would have gave up? How many of you are giving up now where you're seeking for your loved ones to be saved and there's no evidence that they're even closed? Don't give up. Because I want to tell you, you keep knocking and seeking, it's going to happen. That is a prophetic word of this church. What we're praying on Wednesday nights and what we're seeking over our land, it's going to be fruitful, it's going to be powerful, but we can't cave in. Be not weary in well-doing, you shall reap if you faint not. God is telling the church, keep on keeping on because I'm about to do a new work in you. But you cannot abort the process by having a spirit of unbelief come upon you and bailing out of what I've commanded you to do. Can I have an amen? Don't let circumstances and numbers and all that thing dictate you. Stay faithful. Can I have an amen? It's taken eight years to seek the Lord and a total of 12 years before, the, before he begins to move to purge the land. He then reestablishes Jerusalem as a central place of worship. No longer would convenient worship be accepted. Men would have to offer sacrifices of worship to God at Jerusalem where it was meant to be. They would have to make provision and make travel plans for the worship service because he destroys the altars at Bethel and he destroys the altar at Dan. He says, no longer is this worship service going to be about you. No longer is it going to be convenient. No longer are you going to sit under the shade trees on high places in the cool of the morning and offer your sacrifices. You're going to have to prepare your sacrifices. You're going to have to keep them without spot and blemish. You're going to have to bundle them up. You're going to have to take a trip to Jerusalem, whether you live four away or whether you live close is irrelevant. You're going to have to come to the appointed place of worship. Present your sacrifice in a right way before God is going to accept it and God is going to move. Nothing has changed in that. Can I have an amen? No longer would this convenient worship be accepted. Men would have to offer them at the right place at the right time. They would have to make provision and make travel plans for their worship service. They couldn't worship just when it was easy or convenient, but they had to make worship their priority. They had to be willing to forsake everything else that stood in the way of them going to Jerusalem to worship. Let me tell you, folks, worship does not start here on Sunday morning. Worship stops out, starts out there throughout the week. There has to be a preparation out there to bring uninhibited, holy, acceptable worship into the house of God. If this is the only time that you worship, your worship is shallow. Can I have an amen? That's why that David said, I will continually, always, out of my mouth, continually, always praise the name of the Lord. You and I have to come to understand, if we want God to move here, there has to be a preparation out there through the week. Because the worship service is not determined by what happens on Sunday morning. The worship service is determined before we ever even get here by what we have put into it throughout the week in the area of preparation. That's why that John and the praise team and all them practice 
They get up here, they pray, they practice, they try to do everything. They try to make their worship excellent. But it doesn't matter that theirs is excellent. Ours have to be excellent. And when they begin to prepare and the congregation begins to prepare and we come in together as a prepared vessel, guess what happens? The inhibited, the inhibited presence of God comes down and he inhabits his place with glory and with presence and he manifests, manifests himself on a people that has prepared their hearts to receive him. We have to prepare ourselves to receive this thing is a work. Can I have an amen? They couldn't just worship when it was easy. And when it come time for them to go to the house of the Lord, they went to the house of the Lord. I don't have to preach there. How many knows the importance to come to the house of the Lord? Not sporadically, just when it feels good, when you have the time, when, it's, you know, when something else ain't more important than the house of God. You can't treat this place as if it's just, a, just an ordinary place. God is a jealous God, and he's not going to let anything be more uh, more served than himself. Can I have an amen? Now, they didn't make excuses. These people didn't. They didn't cheapen the worship, but they made worship their priority. Worship was the most essential thing that they done. Worship was absolutely necessary, and it was extremely important. Do we understand how important it is for us to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting? Do we understand how important it is for us to put ourselves into worship as a sacrifice? Their worship wasn't for self-stimulation, but it was an act of sacrifice and devotion offered and rendered unto God alone. It no longer was a thing about themselves, but their worship was directed to God himself and not, it didn't have anything to do with themselves. I hear people all the time, well, I don't like that kind of style of music and I don't like this kind of style of music. Can I remind us here this morning, worship is about you getting anything out of it. Worship's about whether or not God gets something out of it and if God gets something out of it, I have found out he blesses and manifests and puts his glory upon the people who offered him true spiritual worship through a sacrifice of praise. That's where God wants us to become as a congregation. And not only did Josiah reestablish Jerusalem as a central place of worship, but he also put a stop to the Israelites' religious practices. He removed all of the images. He cast down all the groves. He put a stop to the astral cults that had become common. And according to 2 Chronicles, Josiah destroyed altars and images of pagan deities in the cities and the tribes of Manasseh, Ephraim, and even all the way down to Simeon. But what really caught my eye was he also destroyed them as far as Naphtali, which was even out of his kingdom. It wasn't even under his reign. In other words, this is symbolic that when righteousness reigns, it not only affects the immediate area, but it affects the world around them. And can I tell you, when the righteousness of Christ reigns in the hearts of a congregation, it will have not only effect upon that congregation and the region around it, but it will have an effect upon the whole world. And that's what Josiah's reformation did. He also returned the Ark of the Covenant back to the temple. And according to 2 Chronicles 34, verse 4 and 5, listen. Josiah took the carved images, he broke them into pieces, made dust of them, strode them upon the graves of them that sacrificed unto them. Isn't that strange? All the people that were buried who died serving and worshiping these carved images, he had, he had those same images, those same gods that they sacrificed to, crushed, ground into powder, and he spread that powder over them graves of those people, showing them that their gods were rendered, uh, rendered powerless. In other words, he was saying, y'all were foolish. And he literally not only destroyed the images, but he ground it up and he spread the, 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 the powder over those graves. Josiah also digged up all of the priests. 
that offered sacrifice unto these idols upon their altars, and he gathered up their bones, took them out, and burnt their bones. He was ridding the country of idolatry, and he was literally burning up and destroying the even those that were dead. Of He was showing by symbolic that, that they not only was the idols going to be destroyed, but the people who done it would also be destroyed. And notice something. This act was considered in Scripture as a cleansing of Judah and as Jerusalem. And let me tell you, folks, there are things right now that we need to go into our homes and we need to get rid of some things. There are images. There are situations. There are certain things in our homes certain styles of music, certain styles of movies. There are things that we need to walk in and we need to cleanse our house and we need to destroy it and get it out because God can't bless with those kinds of things around. Now you can say I'm legalistic all you want to say, but I'm here to tell you there are things that God will not, cannot, and, demand, and, and, and will, will never bless or put a stamp of approval upon and there are things that will hinder. There are things when we get involved in unleashes things in the spirit realm that we have no idea of what we're unleashing. You know what? I just feel like I need to do this right now. I bind every carved image, every molten image, every strange God, everything of good that is pampered by flesh in this congregation today. I bind it off of your lives in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pronounce wholeness and holiness to God's people once again in Jesus' name. God wants us to be holy. Can I have an amen? amen. This, will also, this all was done when Josiah was 20 years old. How many believes that he's on the right track? Of course he's on the right track. He's doing some positive things. He's doing some right things. But I want to tell you something. The Reformation has not even begun. And matter of fact, there's still something vitally important missing. If this is all that Josiah had done, he would never have done enough. Up until this point, Josiah was governed by two things and two things only. Mark these two things down because this is where most of the church is and this is where most of the church is governed. First of all, he was governed by impulse and by spiritual senses as he sought the Lord. The only way he knew what to do is when he felt it or he sensed it or there was an impression upon him or it come to his mind. That's the only way that this man was led. Up until this point, Josiah was led only by promptings and the leadership of the Holy Spirit as he would seek the Lord and God would breathe upon him. However, he was also uh, governed by another, uh, 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 another thing. He was led by example from his great-grandfather, Hezekiah. Remember, his dad was Ammon. His grandfather was Manasseh. Manasseh's dad, his great-grandfather was Hezekiah. How many know that Hezekiah was a great reformer of his day? So he could look up in the, in the he could look back in the past and grab a hold of the influence that Hezekiah had passed down. By all indications, Josiah learned from the example of his great grandfather Hezekiah because he followed suit with the same pattern that Hezekiah done. Hezekiah tore down the high places. He destroyed the images. He purged the lands from idols. He then began to reestablish and repair the temple. And this is exactly what young Josiah is doing. All of a sudden, we see by example, he's looking back and he's saying, great-grandfather was, was successful, I'll just follow his pattern. And even though it's good that we have influence, how many knows that we need to have people of influence? Of course we do. Yet, I want to tell you, even though we have influences from others that is good, and we have good examples to follow, yet we have to have more than just influence and the examples of others to govern our lives by. 
Even though Paul said, follow me as even I follow Christ, well, it's good to follow Paul as he follows Christ, but what we have to come to the place to be is where Paul's out of the picture and we follow Christ. Come on, somebody help me preach. Some people's experience only relies in the people around them because they've never had one for themselves, and the only thing they know what to do is by watching others and beginning to follow after the influences and the patterns in the which the way they live. Now, follow, listen to this. Following religious protocol does not always, it can, but it does not always necessarily bring reform. This is important. Listen to me. Following the traditions of men does not always reform a people or a nation. Just going through the rituals and the patterns and following the examples does not always bring about reformation to a people. As important as it is to seek the Lord, and I'm very hesitant to say this because I don't want you to stop seeking the Lord, as important as it is, but that even in itself will not bring total reformation. Influences are good. Seeking the Lord's presence is good. Seeking the Lord's presence is the first stage, but it isn't all that it takes to have reformation. God help me. We cannot go on and be governed only by our impulse or our spiritual leading or our inward senses. That's where most people, well, I feel like the Lord told me this and I feel like the Lord told me that. I feel impressed to do this. I I feel like God spoke to me in this arena. And, And all of a sudden we find ourselves living our lives by strictly impulse, by our emotional side, by God reaching in with pricking our conscience, prompting us, speaking to us, wooing us. Come on, somebody, how many knows that's necessary? That is important. But if that's all that you have, you're going to live a life of shallowness and you're going to err. Help me, Lord. We cannot go on and be governed only by impulse or spiritual leading or by our inward senses. As important as all of those things are, yet they are prone to human error. Feelings and impulses and spiritual leading can be misinterpreted and be misconstrued. Going on impulse only can lead us astray because God may have meant it one way, but we miss it because we interpret it in a particular way by the way that we feel. Can I have an amen? Josiah, to a certain degree, was following his great-grandfather Hezekiah's example. He was mimicking or copying what someone else had already done. And we have to realize that what brought Reformation or Revival 20 years ago may or may not be the key of what brings revival today. Can I have an amen? We cannot simply mimic and copy, copy something or someone that is, that's working somewhere else or what has worked within our past. We have to find out what God is saying about where we are at right now and then what he requires of us as a people. It doesn't matter what the forefathers done. It doesn't matter what great revivals they had in the 50s under Oral Roberts. And he put out a tin. I want to tell you, going out and putting out a tin ain't going to work. We have to understand that we have to hear from God himself with a rhema word of a now word. Right now, what do you expect of us? What is required of us? It's good that great, great grandpa done this, 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 this and had great results. But you can follow that same protocol and you can be lost as a goose. We as a church have to understand nothing can take the place of the intimate relationship with Christ. Absolutely nothing. We have to find out what God's saying. Look at verse eight with me. Hilkiah, the high priest, said unto Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law 
in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Now, Josiah had ordered the high priest Hilkiah to use the tax money, which had been collected over a period of several years, to renovate the temple. He does that in verses 3 through 5. You can go look it up. This was done in the 18th year of his reign. So now he's 20 years old. All of a sudden, they're repairing, remodeling the temple, renovating the temple. Shaphan finds a scroll. He reads it. And now we see here he is following suit. This great leader, has a Josiah, the same thing his great-grandfather's done. He's just following protocol. He's going through the ritual, religious ritual just coming to church, going through the mechanics of worship, meeting protocol, going through the motions and being a religious people, paying our tithes does not save us. It's getting tight in here today. As a whole, people's experience with Christ is about what they come and they do. They, they go through these, what is expected of them. I gotta go to church, I gotta pay my tithes, I gotta sing songs, I gotta go through the protocol. All that's good. And even though we got a desire to do those things, we can do all of that and still not be conformed in the image of God. Still not even please God. This is a serious message, isn't it? Now watch this. Watch what happens. We can see in Scripture that when Helkiah begins to have the temple renovated, that he discovers a scroll and it's named. It's called the Book of the Law. Say it with me. The Book of the Law. Look at verses 10 and 11. And Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has delivered me a book. And then Shaphan read it before the king, Josiah. And it came to pass when King Josiah had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes, he fell down, and he repented. That's so strange to me. Guys, it's getting serious right now. I'm about to close. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Josiah, for the first time in his life, feels the conviction to repent. It does not even happen until the 18th year of his reign. He's 26 years old. Think about that. 26. Do you know how many years he's been serving on the throne since he's eight? And it's took from eight years old to 26 years old to come in contact with God's presence to the point that he's brought to conviction. That ought not be. We shouldn't have to come to the house of God year after year after year after year after year and it take that many years for us to feel convicted by the word of the Lord. Come on, somebody help me preach. Here he is, 26 years old and has now finally came to a place that his inward parts are beginning to become to a place to where total reformation begin, can begin to happen. And I'm here to declare that God has spoken over this church and he's saying there's a lot of shallowness, but I'm bringing it to death. And I'm going to bring it to a place to where the inward parts are set on fire by the living God. To where we're going to rise up and we're going to quit dealing in shallowness. And we're going to start treading the deep things of God out. That the congregation cannot look, keep sitting around with a milk bottle in their mouths and parting their mustaches. 
that it's time that the church understand that God's taking us into a new season, that God's rattling our cage. We can't just come in here and do protocol over and over and over, go through our rituals, go through our mechanics, doing the same thing, singing the same song, worshiping in the same way, paying our tithes the same way. God's saying, I'm tired of your religious mechanics. I want you to understand. I'm gonna bring you to a place that you really understand where you're at. It's took this amount of time, all of these years, from eight years old to 26 years old to finally get my man to where he can come under the umbrella of my presence to the point that he can bring reformation. And God has said, I have worked with this church and I have worked with this church and I have worked with this church, but guess what, kid? The church is at the age of 26 and I'm about to do a new work at the Palace of Praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All the stuff that we've done wrong, all the stuff that we've tried because we had good intentions, we desire God, we love God, but we've made a mess of things because all we've done is went on impression and feelings and emotions. We've been an emotional people and our lives have been like roller coasters, ins and outs and ups and downs, shallow, carnal. God says, them days are over. Huh. Seems all backwards to me. Shouldn't he have repented? And then restoration take place? From the age of 16 years old to the age of 26, 10 years. This leading by impulse, promptings, feelings. Them 10 solid years of being led like that. Josiah was just led by what he felt. By what was impressed upon him. By the example of Hezekiah. That's all he knew to do. As important as it is to understand what God impresses upon your heart. That within itself, if that's all you follow, I want you to know you'll live a life of shallowness. You will err against God. Yet there's a higher knowledge that we must be governed by so that we won't err. How many don't want to err? I'm coming to a close when I get ready. The discover, the discovery of the word of God in the temple was one of the most important events that took place in this total reformation. The word became the foundation of the reform. It wasn't until the word of God came upon the scene that a deep sense of conviction, conviction was brought to the heart of Josiah for his nation. It's not good enough just to be led by the example of others, even though that's important. I'm not taking away from that. We must give a reason for, for the hope that lies within us. We must give a reason for the, what, the things that we do and the things we don't do. The true renewal that was to be brought by the leadership of this king would be initiated by the word of God. The word of God would spark renewal in the inward part of his heart. It was the discovery of the word of God that impacted Josiah's heart and triggered him to reform this nation. It was the word of God that placed fire and a conviction in his inward parts. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing, the sunder of soul and of spirit, and to the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the heart and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
There is no conviction without the word of God because you know what sin is defined as in scripture? Transgression against the law. Where there is no law, there is no sin. And a lot of people don't have the law of God in their mind. They've never read it. They've never studied it. It's never been brought out on the pages and put into their heart. And they go around, well, I don't feel like that that's wrong. It don't matter what you feel like, whether it's wrong. If the word of God says it's wrong, it's wrong. It don't matter what you feel. Well, I feel like that God spoke to me. God never speaks anything contrary to his word. I deal with that as a pastor all the time. Well, I just don't feel like that God requires this of me. I, that may be for you, God, blah, 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 blah. And the word of God is very specific. We got all kinds of people who don't think it's wrong to live together before marriage. We got all kinds of people who don't think it's wrong to live with the same sex. And people say, well, it's hateful messages if you preach against that. No, it's not. It's scripture. Somebody help me preach. Well, I feel, it don't matter what you feel, the problem of it is you may have a desire. I don't question your desire. I don't question your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's wickedly desperate. It's desperately wicked. Who can trust that? Who can know it? You gotta go on a deeper sense of knowledge to govern your life than just what you feel. Can I have an amen? Can I just get away from my notes for a moment? The word of God has to be the plumb line for everything that we do. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. The flower fadeth, the grass withereth, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. I'm here to tell you, not one jot, not one tittle shall be passed away out of God's word till all things be fulfilled. I'm here to tell you today that the church has to have a return back to the word of God if we're gonna have revival in the church. There has to be the study of the word, the reading of the word, the anguish of the word. It can't be this stuff. Well, grandpa done it this way. Grandpa may have done it wrong. What grandpa done 20 years ago may have been good 20 years ago, but it's not what God set in motion for today. What I feel, well, I'm impressed. Your impressions have to match the word. It has to match truth. If what you feel is contrary to scripture, then you're being deceived. Can I have an amen? The way of life in the word of God is reproof and instruction. Matter of fact, it was Paul that told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good work. But the, without the word, there's no purging. There's no conviction. Can I have an amen? Proverbs 6, 23 says, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light and reproofs and instructions are the way of life. Josiah was a faithful king. I gotta get all my notes. We, I can't finish. I got too much here. You know what he does? He calls all the people together. And he says, his group of men, his leaders, he says, I got to inquire. I want you to go inquire and find out what this word means. He said, I want the full depth of the understanding of what this word is. They get it and they tuck it to a prophetess by the name of Huldah. And she begins to say, you tell the king, the, the man that sent you, this is what the word of the Lord says. That which the law has described in detail, that will be accomplished and the fire will not be quenched. He will not change his mind about what he's going to do. Hello? He takes it back to the king. And this is what they say. The prophet Huldah said this. 
that the very thing that the law said would happen, you know what the law said would happen? He'll make a desolation out of the land. He's gonna bring judgment upon it. There's gonna be severe consequences because they have angered me. They have provoked me. They have served other gods. They've been sinful in nature. They have been vile. They have been hard-headed, stiff-necked, and they have not learned the ways of reproof. And he said, because of that, I am bringing a hard judgment upon this land. And nothing's going to change my mind with it. Now, here's what happens. Hezekiah hears that word. Now, this is no when you got a man that's after God's own heart. In other words, this is what God was saying. Hezekiah, I've seen your heart. I've seen your repentance. I've seen you fall down at the reading of the word of God at preacher inward parts. Not only then, you know what? He purged the land with the promptings, the external, that which is out there on the land but he didn't purge the temple until the word of God came on the scene. That's not the external, that's the internal. And so many of us are going around trying to patch up the things of the flesh that we don't pay any attention to the things of the spirit that lie in our lives hidden because we've not been in the word of God to where it can be revealed to us. And we're out here fighting flesh and blood. And if you'll go to the book of Romans, I don't have time to preach it all, But Paul begins in Romans chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight. He says, I don't know how to do this. I got the will to do it. Every time I try to do good, evil is present. But by chapter eight, he's found the victory. And the church has to quit battling these things of the flesh. Cleansing the land only. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Impulse, feelings, promptings does not cleanse a temple. It cleanses the external. But the word of the Lord, it gets deep, it's sharper and quicker and it gets to the depth of the soul. And it cleanses the temple. And now you don't have something that's happening on a shallow surface you have something heavy taking place. It's a movement that's got substance to it. God spoke to me and he said, he even had me to, I don't ever do this, never. Our general overseer, some year back or so, out of nowhere, he's over all the churches of God throughout the world. He texted me. He don't know me that well, I don't know him that well, we know each other. And he just said, Brother Miller, me and my wife are going to church today. And he said, I just feel like that the Lord wanted me to send you a note. And he began to talk about the church. And it was so prophetic. It was unbelievable. On a Sunday morning, I got that before I came to church from our general overseer. And I was sitting there reading this sermon. And I was thinking about what God was saying to my spirit. He said, now this has been a year ago he done this. He said, you send this to your general overseer that I'm about to do something of spiritual significance in his life, in his family, and in his ministry. And then God said this, but even so, that's what I'm gonna do at the Palace of Praise. Something of spiritual significance. It's not gonna be a thing of the surface. It's not gonna be a thing of just purging the land, fighting this flesh and blood thing trying to stop drinking, trying to stop smoking, trying to stop chewing, trying to stop adultery. No, no, no. It's going to be to where the word of God pricks our heart to the point 
that we fall on our face and we cleanse the temple. And the focus is on the temple and not everything else. Josiah for the first time said, how can I cleanse a land when I need cleansed myself? How can I go out here and purge a land when there's some purging in me that needs to be done that I never even seen? I wasn't even aware of it. I didn't even know that it existed. I didn't know that it was there until the word of the Lord came to me and when it spoke, it gripped my heart. Can I have an amen? There's things in all of us, not some of us, all of us, that's there, that's been hidden because we've not took the time to seek the Lord through scripture and we've not got into the depth of the scripture to where God can speak about those things that are vile in our lives that we can't even see. And we're living shallow, foolish lives of error because we're ignorant of the word and without knowledge, people perish. Now watch. Josiah. Nothing's gonna change, Josiah. What I said is gonna happen is gonna happen. And Josiah says, well, it may be so, then we deserve it. But he says, I'll tell you what we're gonna do. He went out, went to the place of the temple, got on, got on the place of the king's throne. He called everybody, the whole land, not just his, not just his leaders, not just those that were the prophets and the prophetess and the elders and all that kind of a thing. He called everybody, all the people, small and great. And it came upon him and he made a decree. He said, for this day forward, we will serve the Lord our God only. We will serve him in righteousness. We will tear down, and he starts making a covenant before God. And the Bible says that the people stood for the, the reading of the word, and he read the word of the Lord, what, what he read from that book. And then he made a decree, and he made a covenant. But, but what is so strange, I never caught this before in my studies, is it says that he made a covenant, but the people stood afore off and stood while he made that covenant, but didn't say they made it themselves. And I have seen churches that have had great leaders, things happening, and as soon as that leader dies, the church dies. And I thought, how can that happen? You know why? Because a lot of time, everything revolves around the covenant of that leader, and if the people never buy into what God, the congregation don't buy into what God has spoken, when that leader's taken out of the place, that church will fold just like that. Now watch, happens. He makes the covenant to do this. And the Bible says that then Huldah, the prophetess, came back and said, oh, God has wants you to know this, O king. Because you were still tender and because you were still repentant and because you were still sorrowful, even after God spoke that he was gonna do this thing to the land, he said, because you were still sensitive that God has seen your repentance and know this, that you will be taken into the graves of your fathers and you will live in peace as long as you live, and the nation will be in peace as long as you live, and you will not see the horrible thing in your lifetime that I will do unto this nation. In other words, this is what he's saying. Josiah, because of your heart, I will not do what I'm going to do until you're taken out of the way. I cannot curse the land while you're living in it. Ha! Huh. Somehow, if we as a people <laughs> can understand, we make a difference. The righteousness of one man put a stop to judgment for a season. 
That means that as long as I'm here walking in the ways of the Lord, loving the Lord, serving the Lord, the enemy and the Lord will not destroy this church because I have found the favor of God. Your home may be a mess. Your children may be wilder than a buck. But I'm here to tell you, as long as the parent, that one righteous was there, he sanctifies the home and the enemy and the Lord will not bring judgment upon it as long as we're in the gap. I could preach another hour. I'm gonna sum it up like this. Are you getting the message? Watch this. Josiah lives four more years. Serves the Lord 31 years in that capacity. Started at eight. That man dies at 39 years old. I never understand that kind of stuff. He dies at 39. And the moment he dies, the people never rose up took the mantle from his leadership and learned anything. And guess what happened? They were destroyed. Would you stand with me? Do we know how blessed we are?